stable and, and solid financial foundation. So let's dive in. Thanksgiving coming up. Everybody gearing up for good pig out. Everybody ready? All right. Maybe doing some fasting beforehand, getting the getting getting ready for some uh, some turkey and I don't like turkey, but mashed potatoes and other stuff, other carbs that you're gonna uh, use to gluttonously celebrate Thanksgiving. Um, so we're gonna use that theme of gorging ourselves, and we're gonna focus it on the Bible this morning, on specifically on Jesus and what Scripture tells us about Him. We started this last or the series last week called Movements: uh, listening, submitting, following. Those are the three words. That or the three actions that uh, are associated with the movement beginning. And this week, I want to start with the scripture, uh, Luke 24. We're going to read, it's on page 737. This is one of the uh, stories of the women encountering the empty tomb, the story of the resurrection. This is the climax of Christianity. So if you, if you want to know how to read the Bible, the Old Testament is the prelude up to Jesus. It's basically a long history of humankind craving God, and then we get Jesus. And now human history is, is we're living in the response to his life and his death and his resurrection. And so we're, we're, get, we're gonna talk about the climax of Christianity today because this is the moment that started the movement of all movements. It is the, these women uh, encountering the risen Christ and responding by listening, submitting, and following. So let's read Luke 24, 1 through 12. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, uh, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. And when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven, meaning the disciples, to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them, who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen <clears throat> lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. This is a shocking turn of events for all of the people who knew Jesus. So the women listen. The women, either right away, depending on which count you read. If you read the account in John or in Mark, it's different. Uh, but the, the women eventually or right away submit to the message acknowledging its reality of Jesus is not here. He rose from the dead. Let's go tell people. And then the women follow the instructions that are given to them, the command given to go preach the message and share it with others. And side note here, it's always fascinating to me in some of the circles I run in that people don't think women should preach. The first sermon ever was preached by women. So I don't understand that argument. I'm like, they are the ones that told everybody else about it. They're the ones that were empowered to do it. So just interesting side note there. Um, we didn't, uh, what we didn't read, but we may know if you've read uh, the Bible, is that eventually the disciples did come around. They didn't think this was nonsense. They believed, and they listened and submitted, and they followed with the rest of their lives to the point of they were so sold out in their fellowship, in their movement, 
that 11 of the 12 of them were murdered, or 10 were murdered, one committed suicide, and one died in prison. That was the, the, the commitment to the movement uh, that the disciples had in response to the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So movement happens in your life when we listen, submit, and follow. So listening, uh, I, w- I want to dive into those words just a little bit. Uh, simply, listening is simply letting words and actions settle into our hearts and minds without defending or arguing. Um, this is how a responsive movement begins to take shape. Notice the women didn't defend or argue. All right, the, the, the angel they encountered or, or in some other accounts, Jesus they encountered, they didn't argue back like, no, I, I don't believe you. And here's why. This doesn't make sense. They didn't, go, they didn't launch into some, no, I'm going to talk over you and I'm going to tell you why you're wrong. They didn't, um, they didn't do that. They listened and they allowed the message, no, how, no matter how crazy it seemed, to settle in their minds and in their spirits. And they allowed it to penetrate. And oftentimes when it comes to listening, we don't stop and sit still long enough for these types of things to penetrate us and to, and to stew and, to, and for the seed to grow and to sprout. And then there was the submitting, which submission is really deep and mysterious. It, it's, uh, one thing is certainty has nothing to do with it. You don't submit to God once you're certain. Certainty does not exist in the kingdom of Christ. It does not, that's not how he rolls. There is no act, submissive act or response that is ever... Uh, ever involves 100% certainty. Certainty is an idol. We submit even when it doesn't make complete sense. I mean, Peter ran to the tomb because he thought it was nonsense. And what we believe, we have to acknowledge the, the, the mystical and mysterious nature of the resurrection and what we believe. And we have to submit even when it doesn't make complete sense, even when we don't agree, even when it hurts, we submit. So I was thinking of this about submission and I remember for some reason this memory of 10 years ago I was a student ministry pastor and I was overseeing a staff of uh, youth youth men and youth ministry and children's ministry and there was one particular staff member on my team who's an employee of the church uh, who I wanted to fire Uh, but the context was um, she had been doing a great job and then her husband disappeared like literally for a month no one knew where he went just gone and in that month her job performance obviously suffered and as an arrogant 28-year-old with very little empathy and understanding, I simply just looked at the surface level for job performance, and I'm like, she's just not doing a good enough job. I went to our lead pastor, and I asked for permission to fire her. Um, thankfully, he disagreed with me. He, he showed actual compassion and empathy, and he told me no. And he, he talked to her and, and, and walked with her in that time. Thank God he did. And thank God, and I remember saying to him, I don't agree with you, but I'm going to submit to you because you're my boss. I thank goodness I did because I'm a complete idiot. <laughs> I mean, those are the types of acts of submission where I was certain that I was in the right. And now I look back 10 years later, I'm like, what a moron. <laughs> I can't believe that I thought that. And that's typically how God works with submission. In the moment, we're so certain of maybe the opposite. I don't need to repent of this sin, or I don't need to follow because, I'm, uh, because I disagree. And there's all kinds of ex- excuses or reasons we may not feel like submitting, but man, it is critical for God to spark a movement in you or a movement in us to submit even when we don't understand. And then there's the following, the actual movement of faith into the unknown. And that's the scariest part. 
It's the physical action of following Christ into surprising and uncertain places. It's the women actually opening their mouth to the apostles and saying, he's alive. Like they actually, those words came out of their mouth and they knew how crazy it sounded. And people didn't believe him right away. But if they hadn't followed and said that and done that, the movement would not have began. So that following is critical as well. So listening, submitting, and following is how God sparks the movement in us and in others. So as we talk about movements today, I can promise you whatever I talk about, whether it's individual in your life or collective as the church, movements are imperfect by nature. Human beings responding to God is never perfect. It's, it's always messy. It's never just zero it in exactly the way it should be. It's just like the Bible, all right? The Bible is written by, I don't remember how many authors, 66 books. I can't remember how many authors. Lots of different authors. It's, it's subjective experience. It's people who witnessed God moving and wrote it down while well, they told people about it, and eventually it got written down. But it's an imperfect response to a perfect God. It doesn't take away the authority of it. It actually gives Jesus the authority because it's all these people witnessing, listening, submitting, and following God's movement. And we have it written down. And it's the same way today. We live in that tradition of listening, submitting, and responding uh, to God's movement in us. So uh, as we talk to that today, you need to know, like, risk isn't just possible. It's a given. It's just part of being a Christian. It's part of following Jesus. So we're going to talk about it this week and next week. Um, but I would urge you to listen, submit your life, and consider following as we respond to the voice of God, either individually or collectively as a church. So last week, our first movement was to remind ourselves of the restore church culture, like this culture that God has formed in us over the last five years. It, it, we believe and uh, it, it's an ethos that is really good news to everyone else, particularly people of Montgomery County. And there are six elements of our culture. Uh, there is um, inclusion authentic community, empowerment, justice, scholarship, and restoration. And I'm not going to review those, but what I would encourage you to do, if you want a three-minute blurb about what those mean to us, go on our website, click on the About Restore part, click on Our Culture, and there's a paragraph or two on each one of those that I think gives a really good description about what the theology is behind each one of those words and what it means to us, the way we operate as a church. If you want a deep dive We did a whole series on them earlier this year called We Are Restore, and we did a sermon on each one and what actual Christ-like inclusion means because that that word has been co-opted by our culture, by both the right and the left, and they're both way off, all right? Jesus is the the redeemer of that word, and then we can go on down. Justice, the same thing. Um, It means different things in Christian community, and so I would encourage you to listen to each one of those um, at some point, and you're going to get a snapshot of restored church culture. Because it's that ethos that we believe that Christ is calling us to live out as a church uh, that we really feel like Montgomery County is kind of missing out on and beyond. Um, And it's an experience. Notice I didn't say you invite people into it. They experience it through you, our culture. So we take this culture with us to them. It's not a pitch. It's not an evangelistic marketing strategy. It's just in us. And when people do life with us, they encounter inclusive people and people who really believe in authentic community and people who believe in movements of justice and empowering others and restoration and scholarship all this just pours out of us as a community Um, this is how we believe more heaven comes to earth so that's our vision all right again 
we, we, don't come, we didn't come up with our church vision. Jesus did that 2,000 years ago when he taught us how to pray. He said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the vision of the church. doesn't matter what church website you go to, whatever their vision says. If it's not the Lord's prayer, it's not Jesus' vision because he already gave it to us. And when we leave, we live this culture out that more heaven comes to earth. And we're playing our part in the story locally. So let's, uh, let's dish on individual movement. I want to talk individually how God might move in our lives. So there are some parts of our culture, when I talk, say our culture, like inclusion, authentic community, the stuff, the RC culture, that we need to listen, submit, and follow. There, there's, there's some response potentially needed in your life as we get close to 2018 here. Maybe you aren't listening to parts of it yet. Maybe... Maybe you, you see one of those words and you read it through the website or you, you listen to that sermon series and it just kind of bounces off of you. It doesn't make a dent. You're kind of hardened to it. That's what brokenness or sin does. It, it's, it, it puts these layers where stuff, where the Holy Spirit is just trying to drill down and get through. And maybe we aren't listening to certain parts of that because we're hardened or prideful. Or maybe um, we've heard it and we believe it but there's no action. There's no following. We've listened. We've submitted. And we're, but we need to respond. So maybe, maybe your involvement in Restore has been kind of surface level Sunday morning attendance. And you need to, you're not living in authentic community, which is part of our culture. Maybe 2018 might be the year for you to make a movement and to get truly relationally committed to a missional community. Maybe you need to spend some time in being empowered, like receiving or empowering others. You know, maybe now is the season for you to experience a level of empowerment. Maybe it's be, uh, becoming part of a discipleship huddle or taking advantage of some of the other discipleship opportunities we have coming up, like the men's retreat or some stuff I'm going to share in a few minutes about 2018. Maybe it's the area of scholarship. Maybe it's time for you to rethink how you've read scripture your whole life and actually dive into that. Maybe lead a book club about how to read the Bible. Uh, maybe that's what it is. I shared that specific example because I'm hoping someone does that. Um, maybe it's justice efforts. Uh, maybe it's uh, we have a pro bono law clinic claim. Maybe, um, maybe you should give them some money and support them financially, their justice efforts locally. Or maybe you need to go uh, with Jordan, Tessa, and Tyler to the refugee Thanksgiving dinner coming up on November 19th, right? All right, November 19th. If that, and you're like, wait, what's going on? We serve refugees locally and globally. There's a local effort that's coming up. If you want to be a part of that, you can write that on your connection card. Maybe that's a move you need to make. Or we're going to take our fourth trip to Greece to serve Syrian refugees. We're going to take a fifth one in June. Uh, if you haven't gone yet, maybe it's time to make a move there to participate in justice efforts, locally or globally. Whatever it is, I would encourage you to listen to that series and figure out, listen to the Restore Church culture and what Christ has formed there and then respond to it, either by listening, submitting, or following. Um, and, and I want to give you a tip. On, I want to I, I do this. I want to give you like a, a five-minute method for listening, submitting, and following. It's not holistic. It's just something that's worked for me um, and, and I think would work for you. Because sometimes when I talk about listening to God, it's very uh, existential. You're like, okay, well, how do I do that? All right, I know, like a lot of people, we, we pray to God, like, okay, I know how to do that. I just tell God what I want. But how do I actually hear from him? So that's a little bit more challenging. So I want to give you a tip on how you can do that. So um, if you have a journal, get a journal, a notepad, or Evernote app on your phone. Um, and for a month, 
just track anything that strikes an emotional chord with you. A quote, a book, a song, a movie, an experience, a conversation, anything that strikes an emotional chord, track it. Like, write it down. Uh, it could be one word. It could be one sentence. It could maybe a couple paragraphs about an experience you had, but just write it down and record it. This is the Christian tradition. You are recording what God is saying. You may not know that. You may not see that. That's the Old Testament. They're like, I don't know what is going on, but th- th- they're writing it down. I mean, you read Leviticus. I don't know how you make any sense of that. It's like, what is happening here? Or Numbers. They're, they're just tracking stuff down, but it's God moving. And it may not make sense right in that moment, but you give it like a month, maybe more, maybe less. But a, a month is kind of a good snapshot of life. And you, you start writing this stuff down. Anything that strikes an emotional chord, make a commitment to do that through December. Because then you're kind of living into the church calendar, uh, the Advent season, the season of expectation. You are symbolically expecting to hear from God. So it's kind of a cool season to do that, to receive um, so expect to hear God through that because that's listening. That's what listening is. That's one example of how you listen to God. That's the beginning of a movement. You start writing that stuff down. Then a month or so from now, maybe in late December, where you're, you know, maybe you're still on Christmas vacation, you got some downtime, um, review those. Like go back and look at those moments, those quotes, those words, those emotions, those experiences, because that's submitting. You are submitting to an overall theme of God speaking to you in your life. You're looking for themes or an overarching message of what God's trying to say to you. It may be something, you, you might start to see a theme that excites you, like, whoa, I, th- I think I see something here. Or it may be the complete opposite. It may be something really painful. Like maybe you have noticed like, oh, there's a sin in my life or there's an area of brokenness. There, there's a particular emotion, like maybe I'm experiencing this motion of insecurity constantly throughout the month and maybe that's what god's trying to restore in me right now it may be exciting it may be painful or uncomfortable uh, but it is that that's the act of submitting whatever it is submit to that message because god is speaking to you so going back to like this angle like the restore church culture angle um, read through that or listen to that series and see if something strikes a chord Maybe there's one of those that's really convicting, like authentic community or empowerment, and you read that, and you're like, oh, man, I feel something there. And maybe there's other experiences in your life over, the, over this coming month that relate to that theme or that part of our culture. You're like, man, I really feel like God is telling me to like, respond to this in some way. So that's when you consider um, movement and what following looks like. And now when you, when, you, when you decide to follow, that's when you make a plan. And when you make a plan in response to God, this doesn't ever happen alone. That doesn't, that's just the Christian faith is not an individual faith. It's a communal faith. So you make a plan and you share it with others. You think you're hearing from God? Write it down and share it. Submit it to other people to speak into. That's where refinement occurs. It's just like the women in the tomb. They heard from God. They shared it with others. They submitted their listening and, and submission. They, they, they followed by sharing it with other people. Uh, and then it sparked a movement. They had people speak into it, ask questions about it, doubt it, pray over it, and then move. So that's what I would do. Um, that's one method I've used in which Christ has uh, moved in me over the years. Uh, try it. Um, track the moment. Listen by tracking the moments. Submit to the messages you receive in those moments. And then respond by 
following. Uh, I've actually, I've, I've got something going on with that like right now. I've been doing that over the last um, six weeks or so. And there's been different people, a lot of them in this room, who have said something or an experience I've had or a book I've read that it, it, there's, some, there's, a, there's an emotional strike. And I've just been writing those down, and I'm starting to see something now. Um, so it's really interesting to see. Um, and now I'm a little scared about the following <laughs> thing. Because uh, I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> it's exciting, but also uh, it's also scary. Because I was having coffee with Wes Buckta this week. He, he was one of those people that said something. And when you respond to God and you decide to follow, Satan is going to try to get out in front of that. So you've got to know. And, and Melanie said something a few weeks ago. What was that Spurgeon quote? Um, tr- I don't remember it. I have it written down. See, this is why you've got to write stuff down because you can't remember everything. She said something, and I was like, ooh. Like it was an emotional strike. It was basically about like uh, trusting God in the dark with what he's told you in the light. So he's going to say something to you, and you're going to respond to it, but then there's going to be darkness. And if you're going to cling to God's message so that you can get through the darkness. So I know when God's speaking to me, I'm like, okay, this is exciting, but there's going to be darkness. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, am I ready for that again? Am I ready for that grind? Uh, but it's a beautiful thing to move and to let God uh, spark a movement in you individually. So let's talk collective. Because Christ has done that recently in our community. I felt God speaking to us through this type of a process, through listening to him and uh, through many of your words, submitting to the themes that we've noticed uh, of, of prayers or, or ideas or um, conversations. There's, there's been unity in those, and now it's time to follow. It's time to follow Christ into that journey uh, in 2018. So I want to talk this week, and we're going to continue it next week, about the communal movements that we're going we're gonna to move uh, or, or that are going to happen in 2018. So can I share? I'm going to unload a really weird church term on you, and then I'm going to unpack a little bit. We are moving toward a polycentric egalitarian pastoral team. You're like, what in the world does that mean? So let me talk, let's talk polycentric, what that means. It's a term that comes out of uh, Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, specifically the fourth chapter. He says this to the church. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of fullness of Christ. So essentially... These are different ways that God made us. Apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, shepherds. So um, we did a series, a couple series on Ephesians 4 and what this actually means. So we did, it's called Equipped. So you go back on our website or on our app, you can look at that series and, and there's a sermon about each one of these giftings. Uh, there's another one called Primal Fire that you can listen to. But I'll give you a quick, like one minute like, example of what these personalities are like. So apostles, let's say all five of these Apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, and pastors are sitting around. The apostle is going to be the one that jumps up and says something crazy. Like, let's go climb a mountain. All right, that's the apostle. Like, let's go. And they're just going to take off running. And they're, and they're going to expect people to follow. The prophet is going to be with the apostle and say, yep, that sounds like a good idea, but whoa, 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 let's go up that mountain. Like, they're going to point out the specific mountain. There may not be any research behind it probably just a gut spiritual feeling that the prophet understands is like that's the best mountain to climb and the apostles might resist that and say like i don't know about that but the the prophet's right almost all the time go up that mountain 
the evangelist is the networker. They're going to see, they're going to say, wait a second, there's only five of us. Let's see if we can get 500 people to go up the mountain with us. They're going to start like grabbing everybody, just w- grabbing every relationship and friendship and saying, let's, let's go, let's get going. And the, the, the uh, teachers are going to slow everybody down and they're going to say, wait a second, we need to plot a route up the mountain. We're going to study that mountain. We're going to Google that mountain. We're going to look on Wikipedia. We're going to buy these books and we're going to plot out the best route and all the little things and cool things to see up the mountain. And it's going to really frustrate the apostle because he's like, can we just go? Or she, it's she can, we, can we just go? And then the pastors, shepherds, are going to be the ones that are climbing the mountain. They're going to make sure no one gets left behind. No one gets hurt or falls behind or is excluded. So that's the fivefold. That's polycentric leadership in a very brief, imperfect example. But go back and listen to those. So what it does is it gives balance to a pastoral team and to a church. It, it doesn't mean it's only five people leading the church. It just means that those five voices need to be heard because that's when Jesus is the lead pastor of the church. It keeps Jesus at the center and not a personality and not a specific person. So there needs to be balance and diversity. So when this happens, Jesus is at the center, which is really antithetical to the most of the way We've experienced leadership in our culture, which is typically very hierarchical, like top-down, high control, that kind of a thing. So it's, it's really countercultural. Now, that's polycentric. Egalitarian, in the church world, this means believing that women should be in leadership. So <clears throat> Restore was started six, five, six years, six years ago is when we were incorporated. It was started with the agreement that we were not an egalitarian church. I was hired as the, quote, lead pastor with the understanding that we would not promote women as elders and pastors. That was six years ago, and my understanding of God and church has changed dramatically in that time. For the past year, or the past five years, Restore has been governed by me and other male members of these outside churches and organizations that have started us. In essence, we are the board of directors, like officially on the Articles of Incorporation, that our names are on there. So a few years ago, I told them that needed to change. And I, I took the title lead pastor off of myself because I just theologically could not agree with that anymore. I, Jesus is the lead pastor. It's not me. So I took that off my description. Uh, and in order to follow him more effectively and obediently, and, and based on my conclusions of reading scripture and, and, and studying, I really felt like we need women in the highest levels of church leadership. I think it's a sin not to have it. So I was confessing sin of saying we can't operate this way. It's sinful to have only male, male members as pastor elders. We needed a polycentric egalitarian leadership team. Uh, and I told them we need women in the highest levels of church leadership. Needless to say, this went over like a lead balloon. Um, this conviction of mine was difficult for them to hear. And to be honest, I was pretty anxious about sharing it with them a few years ago. But thankfully, they're godly men. And even though we have vastly different, very strong opinions on this matter, they agreed to assist in this transition. So this full transition from going to lead pastor, male-only leadership, to women in the highest levels of leadership and polycentric egalitarian leadership, that is going to take place completely in 2018, which I am really excited about. It's been a long journey there. Um, So I just want to, like, it's kind of been going on behind the scenes, and I've had, like, conversations with many of you about it, like, off just, it's not something we're, like, hiding, but I want it to be public. I want everybody to know it's something we're really excited about. And, um... We're going to have a leading community, and the first ordination that's going to happen is going to be my wife, because essentially she's been co-pastoring this church with me for the last five years. So she gets to go first, um, and it's really exciting. 
Uh, it's empowering to women, to our church, to the people we're called to reach with Christ's love, and it's faithful to the way the historical church was designed to be. And that's what I feel really good about. Like, oh man, I think this makes our church look more like Jesus by, do, by making this move. Um, so I think we're going to be a better reflection of his church because of it. So other two communal moves in 2018 uh, regarding, you know, you know, we look at our culture like empowerment. That's a very empowering move for us and for women and for our culture. Uh, it's more inclusive. And there's other parts, other moves we can make that relate to those two parts of our culture. Uh, we've all wanted, uh, or many of us have wanted the discipleship journey within Restore to continue and to be more available and accessible to more people. Um, and up to this point, our sole discipleship practice has been discipleship huddle. Um, which uh, discipleship huddle is a small group of men and women who meet with one or two leaders regularly and they discuss specific themes of what it means to follow Jesus. And the two questions we constantly ask in huddle are what's God saying to you and what are you going to do about it? Uh, so it, it's a really cool tool uh, to grow in discipleship and to learn how to discover you know, the voice of God. And those typically last nine to 12 months. Those are going to continue. Uh, and new ones are going to begin in January. Uh, one prerequisite that's been recent to huddle is that you have to be involved in a missional community because if you're not committed to living in authentic community, you're not ready to be a disciple. Like we see that in scripture. That's, that's, that should be important. Um, we are also, in addition to huddle, we're excited to explore other discipleship movements in our church. So um, we just really feel like the voice of God speaking through many people in this church for that to happen. So we've got the men's retreat coming up in December. That's something that we are really uh, stoked about. We're going to have a women's retreat uh, in the springtime. The date for that's going to be finalized in December. We've never done either one of those, but we just feel like we, that move needs to happen because we think it'll be uh, a powerful moment or, or weekend uh, uh, of discipleship happening, of growth happening. Another idea that was, it was interesting. It was one of those things where I heard it from like three or four different people. I'm like, ooh, I like that. Um, because retreats are pretty high commitment, it costs money, it costs a weekend, you're away, if you're, if you're married or have kids, that's, that's even more sacrifice and, and logistics to figure out. So in addition to that, we're going to have what we call movement days, which are going to be like half day concentrated retreats or seminars or workshops that'll take place here at the living room. So it'd be like on a, a Sunday or a Saturday for like five to six hours, it'll be some food, but it'll be just like, hey, this is pretty easy to show up to because there's no overnight it's, a, it's much cheaper, it's much more accessible because it's local, uh, but it's an opportunity for God to move um, through some, some intentional discipleship. Um, so it might be a movement day, might include like some <clears throat> huddle content, like discipleship huddle content, or marriage, or it might be about boundaries, or parenting, or I, I, we've got a few ideas, so be ready for a doodle poll, it's coming. All right, we're going we're gonna to throw some ideas at you, and we're going to listen and look for like, oh, it's obvious that 80% of the people who respond to this think this theme or this idea would really fuel their discipleship journey. Uh, and so we're going to do at least two of those and up to, I don't know how many, but we're going to do at least two. Um, we're, we're finalizing those dates and uh, end of November here. And then finally, regarding all this stuff, uh, we're going to publish a 2018 calendar of events and opportunities on our website, which we've never done before. Uh, we want people to be more in the know about what's going on in Restore and opportunities to connect. So that's going to be on our website. So it's just, it just creates more inclusion and more awareness, more opportunity. With that, though, it, it, it's going to involve us actually protecting the dates that we see. The, 
the, you know, we, we see like, oh, you know what, I think I need to be involved in that. So it's, it's going to require some discipline on your part to say, I'm going to commit to being there for that specific thing because I feel like God needs or wants me to grow in that area. And so that's something we're really excited about. That'll be published at the very beginning of the year um, on our website. And, uh, you know, we'll add to it throughout the year, but it's going to be pretty, pretty, uh, we're, we're trying to plan everything out for 2018. And, and so everybody's kind of in the know. So whether you've been a, re- a part of Restore for five years or five minutes or like 45 minutes, I don't know how long we've been in here, an hour, uh, 60 minutes, God wants to continue his movement in your life, in our church, in our county, and I think beyond. And obviously I'm biased because I think this is a church where we're a movement responding to God, and I like it, and I think we're on to something. So I hope you'll consider our, your, your next step of movement, it, whether it's individual or communal with Restore Church. We are far from perfect. Like everything I just shared, whether it's individual or collective, imperfect. It's an act of submission to you. That's what it is. It is, it is meant to, it is not law, it's, an, it, it's ideas and opinions. It's, it's, peop, it's one person or it's people responding to the voice of God, and he's molding something beautiful. And I think that he's molding Restore Church into a beautiful community of people. So we're far from perfect, but I really think we're on to something. And I think Christ is at the center of it. And if he's at the center, good things are going to happen. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for um, just like an inspirational story of the women encountering an empty tomb to see the themes that come out of the spark of that movement, like the, the movement of all movements.